0: Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8000 PA suction and Mopmaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's EUFY.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best in class all in one robot vacuum for only $799. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
2: The Adirondack woods had always held a certain mystique for me. Towering trees, hidden trails, and an air of quiet isolation made it the perfect destination for my hiking adventures. One brisk autumn morning, armed with my backpack, hiking boots, and a sense of curiosity, I ventured deep into the heart of the Adirondacks, ready to explore a trail less traveled. The path I had chosen was overgrown, its markers faded and barely visible. But that only fueled my excitement. The idea of being alone in the wilderness, far away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life, was exactly what I needed. The tranquility of the woods wrapped around me like a comforting blanket as I hiked deeper and deeper into the forest. Hours passed as I walked in solitude, the only sounds being the rustle of leaves beneath my feet and the occasional distant call of a bird. The sun filtered through the thick canopy above, casting dappled shadows on the forest floor. I was in my element, disconnected from the world and at peace. It was as I rounded a bend in the trail that I saw it, a strange elongated shape partially hidden behind a cluster of rocks and underbrush. My curiosity got the better of me, and I cautiously approached the mysterious object. As I got closer, my heart raced with a mix of fear and intrigue. What I discovered sent a shiver down my spine. It was a creature unlike anything i had ever seen before. Its body was a tangled mess of sinew and dark fur, its limbs unnaturally long and twisted. Its eyes were a piercing, unnatural shade of blue and they bore into me with a sense of malevolence that chilled me to the bone. It was hunched over, gnarled claws digging into the ground, and I could feel the air grow heavy with its presence. In that moment, a feeling of dread washed over me. The cryptid, whatever it was, radiated danger. Instinct screamed at me to retreat, to turn and run as fast as I could. But fear kept me rooted to the spot, unable to tear my gaze away from those eerie blue eyes. As if sensing my fear, the creature let out a low, guttural growl that reverberated through the air. Every fiber of my being screamed at me to flee, and finally I listened. I turned and sprinted back down the trail, heart pounding in my chest, adrenaline surging through my veins. Behind me I could hear the creature's growls growing louder, the sound of its pursuit echoing in my ears. Panic fueled my speed as I dodged branches and leapt over fallen logs. It was like a nightmare come to life, and I pushed my body to its limits, desperate to escape the clutches of whatever pursued me. Time seemed to blur as I ran, my breath coming in ragged gasps. I dared not glance back, my mind consumed by the single thought of survival. And then, suddenly, I burst through the trees and stumbled onto a more familiar part of the trail. I could see the parking area in the distance, and a renewed surge of energy pushed me forward. With every ounce of strength left in me, I sprinted towards my car, my heart pounding like a drum in my chest. I flung open the door, jumped inside, and slammed it shut just as the creature's snarls reached a crescendo. My hands shook as I fumbled for the keys and started the engine. As I pulled away from the trailhead, I stole a glance in the rearview mirror. The creature stood at the edge of the woods, its blue eyes burning with a mix of frustration and hunger. It watched me for a moment before disappearing back into the shadows of the forest. I drove away, my mind racing with the surreal events that had just unfolded. The adrenaline began to subside, leaving me with a mixture of relief and disbelief. I had encountered something beyond explanation, something that defied the boundaries of the known world. And as I left the Adirondacks behind, I couldn't shake the feeling that I had narrowly escaped a fate that I might never fully comprehend. In 2001, I was on the Navajo reservation where I had a mysterious encounter with a humanoid figure that bore a striking resemblance to the infamous Mothman. I, Jerry Garcia, was on duty with my partner when we spotted a white human, like figure perched atop a mesa rock near Shiprock, New Mexico. The beam of our flashlight illuminated its skull-shaped head and enormous glowing eyes. Its jaw was shrouded in long white hairs. The figure towered at eight feet tall with a wingspan of nearly twelve feet. As it launched itself into the sky, it took about three steps, gave a single flap of its wings, and soared over the horizon at a speed exceeding 80 miles per hour. I have to ask myself, what was this creature? Could it be another sighting of the Mothman, or something entirely different? The Navajo, one of the most recognized tribes in United States history, inhabit these lands. Is it possible that our territories are home to a host of unknown, terrifying creatures that not only dwell in the forests, but also in the remote regions? I invite you to to share your thoughts on this incident below. Growing up, my parents filled my childhood with stories from their homeland, Galisco, especially my father, who would recount tales about his haunted childhood ranch. But it was a story from my maternal grandfather that sent shivers down my spine. You need to understand that my grandfather was quite the character in the 1920s and 30s. He was a renowned womanizer and had a reputation for being a bit too fond of his drink. One story he told involved a night filled with drinking and gambling. He was returning home, riding his horse under the cover of the midnight sky after a particularly indulgent evening. That's when he saw her, a woman bathing in a nearby stream, stark naked. The sight was alluring, to say the least. She had her back to him, and her long, dark hair cascaded down her back, covering her like a veil. Inebriated and emboldened, my grandfather approached her, reaching out to grab her hair. But as he did, she turned around and What he saw sobered him up immediately. Instead of a woman's face, he was met with the terrifying sight of a dog's face, complete with glowing red eyes. The fear that gripped him was palpable, and without a second thought, he spurred his horse into a gallop, racing back home as fast as he could. He later told me that he had never been so scared in his life. Over the years, I've heard two other people recount eerily similar tales about their relatives encountering a mysterious, beautiful woman bathing alone at night. It was always the same. The woman's back to them, her naked form seeming to lure them in, only to reveal a horrifying truth. It was only later that I discovered that these encounters were not unique. In fact, this creature had a name, Sihuanaba a legend known to frighten many who heard her tale. Her story, like my grandfather's, serves as a chilling reminder of the mysteries and dangers that lurk in the shadows of the night. I grew up in an almost 100-year-old house and had gone back home after graduating college. One night I woke up to a dark figure next to my bed. I wasn't even scared, because I immediately thought it was either one of my parents or my little brother waking me up for some reason. It was dark, but it sort of looked like they were pointing toward my bedroom windows. But anyways, I was like brother. No reply. Mom, no reply. At that point, I was creeped out, but thought someone may have slept, walked into my room, A couple of my family members sometimes sleepwalk, which has always scared me anyway. So I reached out my hand to nudge them awake, and that was when I realized there wasn't actually a human person there. It was so shocking and terrifying, I actually screamed really loud, stumbled out of bed, ran out of my room as fast as I could, woke my little brother up, and told him. It was a feeling of terror I hadn't ever experienced before and haven't since. And because I spent a good chunk of time trying to figure out which family member it was, and generally not even being freaked out, I was convinced that it wasn't just me still half-dreaming or something. This was eleven years ago, and with time I've convinced myself it was some kind of hallucination. But whatever it was, I will absolutely never forget it. As backstory, my parents told us that when they bought the house in 1995, the previous owners told them straight up that there were angels, friendly ghosts was what they were suggesting, who lived in the house notably on the third floor, two bedrooms. My sighting was on the second floor, but both of my siblings whose rooms were on the third floor had had multiple experiences, and even my dad, who is one of the most rational people I've ever met in my life, says he's 100% seen figures out of the corner of his eyes and heard weird shit. However, I had lived in the house since I was five, and up until this point, I never had had any experience, so I just thought it was all bullshit until then. A couple days later, my uncle came into town for my graduation party and stayed in one of the now-vacant bedrooms on the third floor and maintains to this day that the bedroom door shut on its own and something was physically holding it shut so he couldn't get out. Crazy shit, man! A couple years later, I had two separate terrifying experiences while dog sitting for a neighbor on our block, but I didn't actually see anything. Coincidentally, one of my friends from grade school had lived in that house a long time beforehand, and I remembered him having told stories when we were kids that his oldest sister had done some creepy ghost sightings when she was really little. There was a specific story about his mom giving her a bath, and she wouldn't stop staring at the ceiling upward. His mom asked her what she was staring at, and she said the lady. His mom grabbed her and straight up ran out of the house. Anyways, I remembered that family had lived there, but honestly hadn't even thought about the ghost stories when I started dog-sitting. The first experience, I'd been out of the house, came back, and their dog wasn't at the door. She started barking as soon as she heard me come in, and it was coming from upstairs. I went up and she was trapped in the master bathroom. It was one of those old-school bathrooms with two entrances one from the hallway and one from the master bed, and both doors were closed. Obviously, I hadn't left her up there or anywhere near there. It was weird and super creepy. Maybe a night or two later, I woke up in the middle of the night to voices and was obviously absolutely terrified, like fully frozen for a while, until I realized it was a speaker. Went into the master bedroom, and there was just a speaker on playing shit even though I was supposed to sleep there in the house. Said the whole time they were out of town, I went home immediately after that and only came back during the day for the rest of the time they were out of town. My grandma used to tell me one of her little brothers was always kidnapped by dwarfs. She said she never saw them but her brother often spoke of them and how naked little kids were always calling and waving at him, asking to join them. Eventually, some other adult got involved and told my grandmother's grandma to make the boy poop in the middle of the front yard, which is where he allegedly always saw them. Apparently, gorfs love cleanliness and are easily disgusted, and it worked because he never saw them again. I'm from Panama, by the way. And my grandmother used to live in Darien, where her family has a big finca. This would have happened in the late thirties. Anyway, when I was in elementary school, my school was in the middle of this. I don't know how to say it, but it was a decent neighborhood, except behind it, there was a stream and a fair amount of flora and fauna. a small woods, if you will. I swear I saw them playing near the stream, naked. I never saw them call to me at all, but I do remember distinctly seeing them several times in the space of a week. My parents told me I was just seeing things, but I think my friends saw them too, because I remember we would all avoid going to the area where you could see through the gate to where the stream went. Living on New River Mountain in this county, I've been much wrought up by a phenomenon which has been witnessed there at intervals for several months, but only recently assumed startling proportion. In May reports were circulated of a mysterious rain of tiny stones, which apparently came out of nowhere. At first these reports attracted little attention, but as time passed they became general. In May several stones fell in a clearing near the cabin of Si Henley, who lives halfway up the north slope of the mountain. These were jagged pieces of sandstone the size of a walnut. I remember Henley cursing the person supposed to have thrown the stones. One night in June, I was wakened by sounds on the roof, like the falling of hail. As I had a little garden patch, I was uneasy as to the effect of the hail. Examination in the morning developed that the hail was composed of tiny stones. I spoke of this to other mountaineers, and it was learned that stones had fallen at other points on the mountain. In July, a clearing almost on top of the mountain was visited by a desultory rain of stones, many of them striking buildings with loud noise and bounding off. A peculiarity of this shower was the presence of several pebbles, which are as rare on that mountain as icicles in August. The superstition of the mountaineers was aroused, and some strange theories were advanced. The reports grew as they went. A newspaper in a neighboring county recently printed a story that showers of stones were constant on the mountains, and that business was suspended on account of the excited condition of the populace. The fact is that the populace consists of not more than a dozen families scattered over the mountains, and there never was any business to suspend. The most peculiar manifestations occurred on the farm of Ellison Fossman, a justice of the peace living on the south slope. Several stones had fallen here at intervals of a day or so, and Ed Meekers, a school teacher of the vicinity, went to Fossman's to investigate. A stone was heard to fall in the yard, and after some search we found it. It was almost sunk beneath the hard surface of the ground, and was smooth, black, and of a perfectly oval shape and about the size of a robin's egg meeker said it was warm when he touched it just as he stooped another stone struck him with a sharp blow in the small of the back this stone was scarcely larger than a lima bean and about the same shape although not so regular a stone about as large as a man's fist and resembling brown hematite iron or fell on the roof of addison butt's house two miles from fossman's and bounding off fell into a barrel of water standing at the corner of the house It sizzled like hot iron and sent up a little cloud of steam. This stone is undoubted of meteoric origin, as some of the others may be, but the average falling stone is an irregular jagged bit of sandstone, and small clouds of coarse sand accompany some of the stones. Twigs are broken off trees, shingles split, and corn broken down. Probably a bushel of these stones have fallen, all in all, in the clearings. If, as seems probable, the phenomenon has been general over the mountain, several tons must have fallen. In the valley of New River Mountain, the wildest reports receive credence, and the Reverend John Justin, a local Baptist exhorter, is using them with startling effect at nightly revival meetings at the Little Log Schoolhouse. It was 1970 and my entire family was driving home from Arizona to Washington. My two brothers and older sister were asleep in the back seat of our scout. I was three sleeping on my mother's lap in the front seat. My dad always prefers the scenic route, so we were driving through the painted desert, Arizona. It was about an hour or so before dawn. My dad says it caught his eye on the right side of the road just out of nowhere. One minute there was no light, and the next it was there softly glowing. As they approached this light, they could see it was a man dressed in a bright, shiny, metal suit. It reminded him of armor. He said he seemed to be almost seven feet tall. The figure stretched out its arm and motioned for them to come forward. He doesn't remember being afraid, just in awe. My mom confirms everything he said up to that point. They lost a couple of hours and don't remember driving out of there. My dad says he came to pump gas. It stayed with him all his life. He was a great artist and drew the scene hundreds of times over the years. This happened when I was younger, probably around eight, after I had experienced what I know now as a near-death experience. I was with my grandmother, who was still very healthy for a seventy-six. Air old woman. We went trekking across our rural property with a picnic basket in tow, just looking to sit down with our dog and have a nice time. Normal grandparent stuff. We ended up crossing the creek, it was dry at the time, to go to the back pasture. Nearby, probably fifty yards away, was our cedar tree. We sat down and started eating when our dog started acting crazy. This dog, bless her soul, was an angel did not act like a dog most of the time. She never barked, never jumped, and always acted politely. She went nuts, running in circles around us, growling and barking. My grandmother got concerned, so she put our picnic stuff back in the basket and tried to calm her down. I was sitting a few feet away, scared because my dog was growling. I will admit, My memory gets fuzzy around here, but I remember seeing a large gray creature step out of the creek tree line we had previously walked through. My grandma scooped me up and booked it out of there. Our dog running with us. I am 90% sure she ran to the cedar tree. She always talks about it being her favorite tree and about how protective it is. The tree was a lot closer than her house, which was roughly a half mile away at this point. I just know our dog calmed down and I was happier. No, I don't live in the Southwest. I live in the South Central East in Arkansas, close to Louisiana. So I have no idea what it could be. I was driving out in the country in a back road town of Willis, Michigan. Then something quite startling ran in front of my car. It literally was running so fast, not only was it a two-footed, seven, nine-foot blur. It was weird how its legs literally went from the foot back to a joint, like an ankle, then forwards like a joint like our knee. Then it went back to the hip. It made it go so fast, almost literally went in front of my back road, cruising 25-30, five miles per hour. I watched, but as fast as it was... I made its full body out. Its head had pointy, like upward ears, like a Doberman pinter almost. Then its body was like a person except the shoulders were strong, like a very built man. Its head had remained to point straight ahead like our heads do, but its body was longer because of how tall it was. It has been running like a blurry werewolf, and since it was a full moon I thought werewolf but it was running so fast because it had a different shape than the people. I wish I could draw. I will never forget what it looked like. It went in front of my car running into a small back road cemetery. It had to have been a werewolf. I'm not sure what it really was, but as soon as I saw it, my first instinct was to pray and go to the nearest church as fast as possible. So I did. While saying the Lord's Prayer, I trembled, and my body was in fear of the unknown. I stayed at a church and slept in the parking lot the entire night. I thought that would be crazy if werewolves had been truly, really, actually, physically real. But I went back later to find out the cemetery was called the Child Cemetery, and the name was from the Child's Family. Most of the tombs had been children of the Masonic Templars, for the symbols all had distinct characteristic traits and the actual percentage of the graves had actually been from children. All had died between 1927 1932. I don't know what it was from. Smallpox, maybe, but that was the first, but not the last time. I was with this girl crazy. I thought she was for talking to herself, but we saw two of them running in a field a week later. I thought of shapeshifters and things of nature. I don't know what made it come to mind. But whatever the case, it was scary. My spouse and I were riding in our private sleeping compartment on the train from Chicago to Portland, a trip we took almost every year to visit our relatives. I was keeping a close eye on the clock as the train had left with a delay and had to make numerous unscheduled stops to let other trains pass. We both honestly admitted that we were nearly naked during the journey. In the afternoon, around 2 p.m., the train made an unscheduled control stop about ten minutes west of the Dallas, Oregon. Glancing diagonally across a snow-covered clearing between the train and the Columbia River, we spotted a dark Sasquatch stepping into the clearing, accompanied by several dark birds of an unidentified species. The Sasquatch hunkered down to look at the train, occasionally getting up to walk a few steps before crouching down again. The hair on its legs stuck out on the surface of the snow like bell-bottom pants. When hunkering down, its arms were outside its knees, and it rose without any assistance from its arms or hands. My spouse and I felt secure within the train and were not seen by the Sasquatch due to the tinted windows. We could exchange mutual questions during the eight-minute period that the train stopped verifying our mutual impressions of the creature's reality and appearance. The contrasty lighting made it difficult to see the animal's features in detail. The conductor indirectly admitted to seeing it too, but the terrain's geometry prevented others in compartments ahead or behind ours from viewing it. We couldn't alert others during the event because of our state of undress, the train left with the Sasquatch still watching. Will stated our absolute conviction that what we saw was a Sasquatch. So I quit my job as a park ranger a few days ago, not because I got tired of it. It's because I've seen some crazy shit. I wasn't one of those park rangers that stand around or sit in a shack. I was the kind that were bound to towers, taking radio calls and more. So it was a normal day just sitting, looking out for any strange things. You may be asking strange things. When I first got the job, they informed me of strange entities and happenings. Those I still do not know to this day. As day started setting, I got a radio call from the other tower. Yes, I had the night shift that day. The man at the tower, Chris, told me he's heading home and just a reminder to look out because night isn't pretty. As I see his lights turn off of the tower, I knew that my shift started. Nothing really happens when you work the night shift, but this specific day was strange. I was sitting next to the park map they left us when I hear static coming from the radio. I knew someone was trying to contact the tower, so I walked over. Before I had time to respond... A scared-out-of-breath man was on the radio. Hello, I heard. I did the standard procedure. This is Tower 4. What seems to be the problem? Finally, someone help, the man said in relief. I was on the trail when I heard something behind me. Any more information? I asked him. Yeah, I started to speed up when I did it. It sounded like something was running after me. Stay on the line, I said. I opened the instruction manual. I was reading the part about hikers being chased by an animal. As I was reading, I heard a scream over the radio. Hello, do you copy? Help? Whatever was chasing me is still chasing me. Keep running, but where are you? The lake that's near tower, Two. Head to the nearest tower. We always leave the towers open because when the shifts are over, they require to unplug and put the radio in the locked box. Yeah, that's dumb, but it's how it works. As I return to the radio, I hear a scream from the radio and outside. It sounded like somebody was getting murdered. Hello? Where are you? I hear on the radio. I lied for my safety. I'm at the tower I sent you to. Okay, he sounded so calm. I pulled up my binoculars and zoomed in on tower. What I saw scares the shit out of me. It was a creature looking at me with red, glowing eyes. It was waving at me. I was frozen in a state of paralysis just being watched by this creature. It was weird. It almost looked like something out of a movie or a game. As I started to feel like I could move again, I used it to grab the hunting rifle given to me. I aimed, but nothing was there anymore. I sat down and got the flask I hid in my drawer, and I took one sip. Then I heard the familiar creak of my tower steps. It was late, and no one comes to check up on me at this time. I hid under the bed provided. Who's there? The thing said. It sounded like my boss, but I knew it wasn't. It sounded like a somewhat good impression. I knew it wasn't him when I saw its legs. It had hooves and fur, and I only saw its bottom part. It left, but whatever was there could replicate voices. Whatever it was, I don't know, but that was the one part that almost made me quit, but there are many more reasons. I had lived in this small town my entire life, surrounded by the dense forest that stretched for miles in every direction. The woods were a constant source of fascination and mystery for me, and I spent countless hours exploring their depths learning their secrets. One evening, as I sat on the back porch of our family home, I heard something that would change my life forever. It began as a low, guttural howl, slowly rising in pitch, until it carried off into the distance. The sound was unlike anything I had ever heard before. Louder and more powerful than any animal I knew, it repeated over and over again, each howl lasting for about thirty seconds. As the strange howls continued, the dogs in the area began barking and howling in response. They seemed agitated and restless, their behavior only settling once the howls ceased. I was left with an overwhelming sense of unease, wondering what kind of creature could make such a sound. A few days later, my father had a bizarre encounter of his own. He was outside when he heard a loud shaking coming from one of the trees in the forest behind our house. He said it sounded like something huge was up in the tree, causing it to sway and groan under its weight. My father was convinced it was a man in the tree, but he couldn't get a clear look at whatever it was. As he scrambled to find a flashlight, the creature suddenly pushed off, causing the tree to crack and fall onto a back deck, crushing the fence in the process. The incident left us all shaken and confused. What kind of creature could cause such destruction? My father was adamant that it had been a man up in the tree, but I couldn't shake the memory of those eerie howls. Was it possible that there was something more lurking in the woods around our home? Over the next few weeks, I became obsessed with discovering the truth. I researched. Head over to Hulu this March,
0: where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long
2: local legends and folklore, trying to find any mention of creatures that could make such a sound or cause such damage. I spent hours in the woods searching for any signs of the mysterious beast. It wasn't until months later, when I stumbled upon an old book about cryptids and mysterious creatures, that I began to piece together the puzzle. The descriptions of a large, powerful creature that howled and shook trees matched what we had experienced, Although I couldn't prove it, I was convinced that we had encountered a cryptid in our own backyard. The howls and tree-shaking incidents stopped as suddenly as they had begun, leaving us with more questions than answers. I continued my search for answers, driven by a need to understand the unknown. The experience had shown me that there was more to our world than met the eye, and I was determined to uncover its secrets. I'll never forget the day I met Mututa, a man known throughout Kenya as the one who had cheated death. It was a hot afternoon in Kitui, about 100 miles east of Nairobi, and I had come to interview him about his incredible experiences with life and death. As I approached his humble abode, I couldn't help but feel a mixture of curiosity and apprehension. Mututa, A sixty-year-old shepherd had been pronounced dead three times, only to disrupt his own funeral and rise minutes before burial. His last resurrection had been in May, and I was eager to hear his story firsthand. Sitting down with him, I noticed a glimmer of sadness in his eyes. His brother Timothy had told me earlier that Mututa had been disappointed because Pope John Paul, I, had refused to grant him an audience during his visit to Kenya in August. I decided to begin our conversation by asking him about his first encounter with death. I was just a child, barely three years old. He began, his voice tinged with both wonder and sadness. My body had been wrapped in sheets and blankets and was being lowered into the ground when I let out a cry and was hauled back to the surface. I listened captivated as he recounted his second death at the age of twenty-two, After a six-day search, his lifeless body was found, and yet again he forced open his coffin lid as it was being lowered into the ground. His most recent death occurred in May when he was pronounced dead after a short illness suspected to be cholera. However, he revived after a day of lying in state and demanded a drink of water. As our conversation drew to a close, Mututa looked at me and said solemnly, I've cheated death three times, but I know that the fourth time will be for good. His words sent a shiver down my spine, and I could see the weight of this knowledge in his eyes. Twelve days ago, Mututa passed away, and this time there were no miracles. He was buried without fanfare or publicity in a simple ceremony in Kitui. The exact cause of death was not disclosed, but it seems that his premonition had come true. As I reflect on my encounter with Muta, I am struck by the fragility and mystery of life. His story serves as a reminder to cherish every moment and live each day as if it were our last. For Muta, the man who had cheated death, the final curtain had finally fallen. Friday night I was near Blue River in Colorado. We couldn't make it to the actual campsite, so we car camped for the night. Got a fire going and watched the full moon slowly peek up over the mountains. After a couple hours we heard something that I thought was an elk bugle at first. But elk don't typically bugle at night, not that I've heard of at least. Then it started changing tones and went to a higher pitch. It changed tones and pitch a few different times. It wasn't screaming or anything like that, but it was eerie. It was going on for a solid minute before anyone said anything, at which point we were all weirded out because we've never heard anything like that. I've listened to every animal I could think of in the area, from mountain lions to owls, and nothing matches the sound we heard. One of my friends described it almost like a siren song. Does anyone have any ideas on what it could be? I never thought I would see anything like it. It was just another day driving home from work with my two buddies, Seamus and Sterling. We had just finished work and were driving down the road when we saw it, under the streetlight. We couldn't quite make out what it was at first, but as we got closer, we realized it was no ordinary animal. Seamus shouted, guys, look at that, and that's when we all saw it. The figure was slouched over and had very long arms. It had an ape-like face, and it was huge. We had never seen anything like it before. At first, we thought it was a really big animal, but it didn't run like one. It ran in a very ape-like way. As soon as it noticed us, it turned in our direction. We were terrified. We had heard of the legendary Yoey, but we never thought we would come face to face with one. Sterling said we were in utter disbelief of what we were seeing. It didn't make sense to us and we were all confused and scared. After the encounter, we couldn't stop talking about what we saw. We went on a few hikes to see if we could find anything, but we didn't have any luck. We even talked to the locals, and they told us they had seen evidence of the Yoe before. I never believed in anything like this before. But after that experience, I know there's something out there. Something big and scary. I hardly slept that night and I felt overwhelmed that I had seen something that I never believed in previously. It's an experience that will stay with me forever. I have always been fascinated by tales of creatures that lurk in the depths of the ocean or rivers. So when I came across a story about a cryptid from Greenland, I was immediately intrigued. The creature was described as a large rodent-like creature, similar in form to a rat or mouse, but with a long and sharp tail made of steel or iron. According to the legend, the creature would swim underwater, sneaking up on boats and ships and using its sharp tail to poke holes in them, causing them to sink. Once the ships were submerged, the creature would feast on the humans aboard. As terrifying as the tale was, it only became more frightening when I learned that it was often told to children to scare them into staying inside at night. The thought of this creature lurking beneath the waves waiting to attack unsuspecting victims sent shivers down my spine, but the story didn't end there. There was also a tale of a little girl and her father who were leaving Greenland on separate ships, as the ship separated passengers by sex. The little girl arrived safely on land, but soon heard the terrible news that her father's ship had been sunk by the cryptid. As I delved deeper into the story, I found myself becoming more and more obsessed with this mysterious creature. I scoured the internet for any information I could find, but to no avail. It was as if the creature had vanished into thin air. Despite my frustration, I couldn't shake the feeling that there was more to the story than what was being told. Perhaps there were others who had encountered the creature and had their own tales to share. And maybe, just maybe, I could be the one to uncover the truth about this elusive cryptic So I live in a town in the Blue Mountains, Australian, a place known for Yoey and Panther sightings, and I have heard strange calls coming from the nearby bush before. So a few months ago, I was riding my bike on some old fire trails, and I just felt really strange all of a sudden, but I kept going. So first I went by a sewage treatment facility and felt really of like something was watching me. Then I went down a hill and decided to go down to some nearby waterfalls. As I was going down to the falls, I again felt really of and worried. I then saw the guys walking by, and I stopped and looked around and felt this overwhelming dread come over me. So I decided to book it back up the hill, and I could hear cracking from the bush, and I kept looking behind me. But there was nothing there. I've heard of drug addicts that live down in that area of town, but they usually camp deep in the bush and don't really come out. I've also heard of a Yoi that lives in the area called Fat Foot, but as far as I know, no one has seen him in years. Since then, I haven't really been down those fire trails, but there was another one where I also felt off. Anyone know what it could be? I'm back with another story I'd like to share with you. Or rather, I feel the need to share with you, as there's nothing I like about it when someone goes missing in our national parks. The British search and rescue team are contacted immediately. However, they are always at least half an hour's flight away. And even then, they only have so much flight time before they are forced to turn their helicopter around to refuel. This leaves a lot of searching down to the rangers, as we know all of the areas and trails very well. It's always an adrenaline-pumped situation to be in, as you never know what the outcome will be. Usually, the helicopter spots the lost people within 20 minutes of joining the search. But then there are the missing people. You should know that between the rangers, we refer to these situations with two categories. Lost people and missing people. A lost person is a normal search and rescue scenario. Somebody went down the wrong trail and hasn't been seen in a while, and perhaps throwing a broken leg for good measure. The main thing is that we find them, even if they are a little beaten up. A missing person is somebody who hasn't been seen for anything over a day, or if the situation just seems off. For example, when people just seem to disappear. I have one particular case I'm going to share with you. I will warn you closer to the time, but there is some pretty explicit content in this memory, so here is your far pre-warning. It was a pretty standard shift. The sky was just starting to dim as the sun started sinking towards the horizon, and I was sat in the ranger station taking calls and checking emails when a woman comes bursting to the door, absolutely beside herself. Her hair is a mess with leaves tangled in it, Her makeup is all smudged down and across her face, and her eyes are red from crying. She's telling me that her son had been by her side one minute, and when he went to the bushes just off the trail for a wee, he never came back. There was no scream, no noise, no nothing. I knew at this instant we had a missing person on our hands, and my heart stopped. A missing child was always bad news and seldom had a happy ending. He had been in the bush for maybe two minutes when his mother called out to him, and she went running into the woods to try and find him. She was very lucky to have made it back to the trail without getting lost or worse, if you ask me. I tried my best to calm her down and took her to a map, and after showing her where our station was, I asked her to try and locate their average location at the time while I made some calls. She protested at first, but After assuring her we had dealt with this kind of situation many times before, she brought herself to trust my instructions and started tracing her tracks on the map. I immediately called the search and rescue team closest to us and told them the exact location was to be confirmed, but to dispatch a helicopter for a missing child. They gave us an ATA of 40 minutes. I gather all the rangers on duty, and after confirming with the woman where she believed they were when he disappeared, we all get assigned grids on the map to check and we head out. We are very thorough as we search, and we each square off the grid very effectively, and do not leave so much as a rock unturned, so we're getting deeper and deeper into the woods. At this point, We'd been searching for a good couple of hours, but the dogs hadn't picked up the boys scent yet, and we were merely doing a routine comb-styled search. The helicopter was buzzing around non-stop, and everybody was quiet. No one really spoke much while looking for children. I think it's because of the fact that it's a child we're looking for, not an adult, who may be able to look after themselves. I'm getting this heavy knotted feeling in my gut, you know the kind you get when you just know that it's going to be a fruitless effort. I should also mention that it's getting dark now, and there's not much light left, and what little is left is completely blocked out by the trees, so it's flashlights from here on out. We'll never find this kid, bro, my colleague said in a completely flat voice. Don't talk like that. We never know what we can find while searching, I replied sharply, though deep down in my gut. I knew the child was gone. The helicopter heads back for some more fuel and comes back again after a further few hours of searching. It is getting very dark and we call it a night as everyone needs to be back before the forest is completely consumed by darkness. The woman stayed in one of the medical beds we had previously prepared for her son, though I doubt she slept at all. I watched the cameras that lay deep in the forest, somewhat in the area the child could have walked in. After an hour or so of nothing, I eventually decided to call it a night. We didn't find this boy the next day or the day after that, for that matter. Three weeks later, one of our rangers radios that they found the body of the child deep into the woods. So sad. I spent tons of my life in the forests and scrublands of Washington, including some very minimalistic backcountry long-distance hikes, and these are the only truly unnerving things that happened. The first was maybe 2010, hiking on the Colonel Bob Trail, and it was fairly empty because it was a rainy day and the trail was partially washed out at the time. We only saw one other person the whole time, a man we first passed resting against a rock carrying a rifle. My friend started chatting to him and asked if he was hunting, and he said no. He was actually out training for an upcoming hunting event. After this, we passed him repeatedly without ever seeing him pass us and without him saying a word to us. Often, he was just crouched in the bushes off the trail, watching us go by. I get that he was just a very skilled stalker who could move quietly off the trail beside us, but even though I know this was just his hobby that had nothing to do with us, it sort of felt like we were the targets of the stalking and made me uneasy. The second, I think it was 2019, was weirder. We'd been camping for a few nights, just sleeping in the van in spots around the National Forest, having a great time. Moonlight, full sky of stars, owls and insects, the whole experience. We hadn't seen any other people in the forest itself, but it was very lively and safe, feeling. On the third night, we were fairly deep in somewhere southeast of Glen and the atmosphere was completely different. There were a ton of fires going in Washington and Oregon, so the air had gotten really thick with smoke. Then fog had rolled in off the Pacific, and the two together completely absorbed all noise and light. There was no wind at all, no rustling of trees, and not a glimmer of light. With the headlights of the van, visibility was maybe two feet, but with them. Off, it was space mountain levels of darkness, like you could not see your own hand an inch from your face. I opened the van door to get out and piss before sleeping, but decided against it. The air was seriously just so thick, still, and dark that it made all my hair stand on end. Plus, we'd parked on a road with steep switchbacks, so I was a little bit worried I'd walk off a cliff. Since neither of us were risking going outside, we went straight to bed. As we were drifting off, there was suddenly pounding on the middle side window, right above where I was lying, and on the side facing the trees rather than the road. It sounded like an angry person banging on it with the side of their fist. We both went dead silent and still. Then my friend roared, What? in a comically deep voice. No answer, but maybe ten seconds later we heard a slow tap. Cat scrape on the side of the van. My friend had lived in this van in Seattle for five years and it had plenty of people actually trying to break in and basically just shooed them away. But in that moment he said of this and we got into our seats, got our seat belts on and left. Like maybe there was someone camped nearby but they definitely weren't behind us or to the right or left of us and the worst part is that it was a gravel forestry access road with gravel on both sides of the car on the most oppressively silent night I've ever experienced, and we didn't hear a single footstep. I think the absence of footsteps is actually what gave both of us the sense of urgency because it did not feel like this was a drunk grouse hunter trying to pull a prank I used to night hike with friends during high school and go off into wilderness around North Bend, Fall City, and Preston, sometimes in the rain at 2 a.m. I did one time have an encounter with something deer-looking and tall F in the middle of the night at the top of the Issaquah Highlands. also ran into my first bear encounter there low. Whatever it was, it was peering out of the bushes near the only streetlight on a road that goes into the wealthiest homes there. I was just taking a stroll, admiring the architecture. It literally looked like a deer. I could only see its head and neck. It made no sound when I saw it come out. We made eye contact, and I was about 15, 20 feet away. Only thing was this thing was literally 7 feet tall. Then the first two seconds I saw it, I was stunned and cautious. It then suddenly tilted its neck. 90 degrees, and I ran so fast back to my car that shit freaked me out but it happened so suddenly I don't talk about it much. It's not a credible story for me. Other than that, I had one ghost experience as a child. Shit is ingrained in my memory. I can never rule out the supernatural because of that experience. Guess I've had three poltergeist events, too. But again, I don't find them compelling enough, just unexplainable. I was with some friends screwing around in the mountains above Spokane during hunting season. We were driving up a dirt road when we saw some lights on the hillside above us, maybe 300 yards away, over a creek and up a hillside. It was dark enough and we were in a canyon that the sides looked pitch black except for three red lights. I thought it was hunters with headlamps set to red to keep their night vision, but they were acting kind of funny. They seemed to be hopping up and down every so often, even playing leapfrog. They never disappeared behind each other and moved pretty quickly at times. We ended up outside of the truck, watching them and trying to see through the binoculars. They went out in the middle of the hill, and we watched a minute longer with nothing happening. At that point, my buddy got out his massive spotlight. We lit up the hillside. Everything looked normal, but where the lights were was a rocky cliff face with sheer drops and overhangs. We decided to head back at that point and started driving back down. Took a wrong turn and ended up on an impassable road by a truck that led to the top of a ridgeline. My friend starts backing out when the entire forest lights up with an intense blue-white light. We all look up out the windows, expecting to see a helicopter or something, but none of us can actually pinpoint the source. My buddy stomps on the gas in reverse. We go flying and right when we break out onto the main road, the light shuts off. It was far too bright to be a spotlight, being near a ridgeline. I had a decent view, and it seemed like a large area of the forest was lit up like a movie set. We booked it down the mountain, and it became a running joke that we scared some face so they decided to scare us L O have been back and seen the rock face in the daytime but for the life of me i cannot find the other road we pulled onto i remember it looking really defined when we pulled onto it though and not even questioning if it was the right way It's important to the story to know that I was basically a huge jerk leading up to what happened. See, I'm a graduate student, and I was at this point about six, eight months into a new relationship with a woman named Sarah. If it matters, I'm female, and we were both around 30 at this time. The prior year before I met Sarah, my best bud from school, Josh and I had gone on a great camping road trip over spring break. This year, I messed up and basically double-booked myself to go camping with Josh and with my girlfriend, because I'm a scatterbrained idiot, and I got confused about what plans had been discussed, solidified. Both Josh and Sarah were justifiably really pissed off and hurt, but I had made the plan with my girlfriend first ultimately, so I had to flake on Josh. When it came time to planning, Sarah and I picked a campground in southwestern Pennsylvania with lots of good hiking. It's at least a five-hour drive from where we live. We made reservations, and I mentioned the plan to Josh. Well, it turns out, of all the campgrounds in the region, Josh had also decided to head to that one as it connected to a long bike trail he wanted to go on. He had decided to go camping alone. So we knew Josh would be at the campground before we got there, but things were super awkward between me and him, on account of my being an asshole and him being generally a bit depressed around that time. We stayed three nights, and Josh was there for the first and second night. We'd rented out a small cabin, basically a prefab shed with bunk beds, because it was cheap and we have a leash reactive wimping. A grain dog, and it's sometimes easier that way. Josh was tent camping in another spot. I think Josh and I were mostly planning on avoiding each other. He was rightfully still angry, things were awkward, and I figured he needed some space from me. But it turned out only one bathroom was open on our side of the campground, since it was only early April and most of the campground was still closed down for the season. Josh's campsite was right next to the open bathroom, so we ended up seeing him when we walked to the bathroom at night. I saw heard signs of one or two other groups on the far side of the campground, but they had their own bathroom open over there, and we never really saw them. It's a very large and forested campground, and only small sections at either end were open for the season. The second night, Josh was out in his campsite when we came through to the bathroom before bed. It was after midnight at this point. Josh seemed super depressed, and we had a very strange and awkward conversation with him. Took care of what we needed to in the bathroom, and headed back to our little shed, down the road. The roads in this part of the campground were basically like an inverted F, with a bathroom above the top of the F. In between the two arms of the F was a stand of trees next to the main road, a small locked shower building and Josh's campsite furthest from the main road, the main road being the vertical line of the F. We were staying off the main road further down on the opposite side, so that night we'd cut past Josh's camp to get to the bathroom, but on the way back, we followed the road, so as not to bother him, as he seemed in a bad mood. It was dark, and I'm easily spooked. We had the dog with us, which was somewhat reassuring, since he looked semi-tough despite being a nutcase and a wimp but i'm looking around nervously and as i glance over my shoulder i think i see a man off to the side of us my brain processes this very slowly as i just caught a glimpse of him as i turned my head and it was very dark i convinced myself my mind was playing tricks i didn't look back and silently walked with sarah and the dog back to our cabin When we got back to the cabin, I thought Sarah looked a little spooked, which is unusual since she's a lot braver than me. Eventually, she says, that guy was really creepy, right? So, shit. He was real. I told her I saw him but had convinced myself my eyes were playing tricks on me. But no, we both saw someone with no flashlight standing in the trees just off the road, maybe 15 feet from us. I asked if it might have been Josh. Neither of us were really convinced, but wanted to convince ourselves so we could get some sleep. And he'd been wandering around being moody 15 minutes before, and it was right by his campsite. I think we didn't want to freak ourselves out any further, so we locked the cabin and didn't talk about it much more. The next morning it was pouring rain, so Josh decided to pack up and leave early instead of spending the day in the area. We shouted goodbye to him as we headed to the bathroom, and he ran around tossing shit in his trunk and trying not to get drenched. That night was a weekend, and there was a big family in the cabin next to ours, and everything felt far less spooky. But when we got back to town a day later, I texted Josh, asking him if he'd been lurking creepily in the woods. He said no. Well, I told him what we'd seen, and he said he'd seen a guy the prior night lurking in the woods without a flashlight. Same general description, which I'll get to, same area. The guy had really creeped him out, so much so, that the next day he bought the biggest maglight he could find, so he'd have more than just a pocket knife to defend himself. But he'd also mostly convinced himself it was a park ranger. Yeah, with no flashlight, let alone a vehicle. But he more or less willed himself to believe it so he could get some sleep. So, once we could no longer pretend it was Josh, Sarah and I compared notes, what we both saw, and what Josh saw the night before, was this. A tall, gaunt white man in his late forties with clean-shaven, sunken cheeks, in the stand of trees, brambled just off the road, in the space between the arms of the e- He was wearing a raincoat, rubber boots, and a hat, and had no flashlight. He was just standing still and staring coldly in our direction. I remember his raincoat, his sunken face, and how very cold his gaze felt. In contrast, Josh is several inches shorter than whoever we saw, was not wearing a raincoat that night, which we knew because we'd just seen him. But we convinced ourselves otherwise, bearded 29 years old at the time, I should add, it wasn't raining. To be clear, where this guy was was not somewhere you'd be strolling through. It was a thick, rambly area. He had made the effort to move out of the road and to stay in the shadows and away from the bright bathroom light. Both nights. We're sure he wasn't going to the bathroom. Though we were on the women's side, you can hear the men's side clearly, and Josh had been outside in view of the bathroom doors both nights. He didn't look like he lived in the woods. Which is to say, he appeared clean and groomed, and his clothes weren't worn or dirty. Whatever he may have been doing in the middle of the night in a nearly abandoned campground with no flashlight, he was clearly making an effort not to be seen. We all discussed it, and Josh ultimately called the campground to let them know. They said they'd check it out. Although my camping fees were mysteriously refunded, we never heard anything more. Josh is still a little mad at me for seeing a potential murderer lurking the woods near his tent and not doing anything. Out of curiosity, we just checked to see if anything had happened in the park. A number of people have gone missing in the state park over the years, some slightly mysteriously. Most were found downriver and believed to have fallen into the rapids on accident. I'm sure it's unrelated, but the whole place gives me the creeps. And I still can't figure out what that man was doing.